Good evening, and welcome to our first edition of the Wiki Podcast. <clears throat> Let's talk about Gonzaga basketball. So, last year Gonzaga was considered a fluke after you know beating teams by thirty throughout the entire uh, NCAA tournament to ultimately lose to Baylor by twelve. Um, and many people are saying, oh, you know, Gonzaga can't win. They can't beat top 10 teams. They, you know, they're a fluke. The WCC is a fluke. Here's my take on it, right? And maybe just because I'm a biased Gonzaga fan, as most will say, but we'll look at this from, from retrospect, right? Right now, Gonzaga's beating UCLA 59 to 40. And this is, and UCLA had a lot of returners, right? I don't think many UCLA players ended up in the, uh, NBA last year. Um, and Gonzaga lost Corey Kispert, who was the best shooter in college basketball. Um, they lost Jalen Suggs, who, you know, they lost Jalen Suggs. They lost, you know, and while they grabbed some solid players, you know, the number one player in the nation, Chet Holmgren, um, they still lost a lot of people. Given that, Gonzaga, I think that this is their year. And, you know, I know we say that every year, but this has got to be the year. I mean, beating the beat Texas, which everybody expected the Texas Longhorns basketball team to be much better than the Texas Longhorns football team. They, and they dominated them. Um, they, you know, they've dominated, they're dominating UCLA right now to beat the team that you went to overtime with, with, you know, uh, I think Jalen Suggs is better than, 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 than Swarth. I think that's its name, you know, and the Drew Timmy's back. So ultimately this Gonzaga team playing against UCLA to be able to beat them like this. I think Gonzaga takes the number one national seed again, unless for some reason someone in the WCC upsets them, but I don't see it happening. BYU isn't as good as they used to be, and St. Mary's still is not good. Um, so I see Gonzaga taking the number one national seed, and I don't think there's a, I think the only team in the NCAA that could beat them would probably be Purdue. And that's maybe Purdue, and that's just because of their massive 7-4 big. Because, you know, Chet Holmgren's the biggest... Guy they got at seven one, I think he is, but he's also you know a buck eighty five, and that seven four big is two fifty. You know, Chet might be able to bring him outside, but defensively, you know, it'll be a question. So, but I think this is Gonzaga's year. I think that they have a great opportunity to showcase what they can do, to prove to the entire the entire college basketball world that they deserve a national championship. And everybody talks about the WCC, right? So the WCC has, you know, a mid-major. I personally think that the WCC is a high mid-major. They're a high mid-major. They are, they are consistently good. Now, while you know, while it's been in recent years, but even even then, they always have one. Besides Gonzaga, they always have at least one or two other teams in the tournament, compared to a lot of other mid-majors. A lot of mid-majors are just AQs, while Gonzaga's always producing at least one or two. Or not Gonzaga, sorry. Jeez, the WCC is always producing at least one or two extra uh, teams into the into the uh, tournament. So, Gonzaga's right now winning sixty three to forty two with ten minutes left in the second half. They're not known to blow leads. Um, they're not, you know, they're not the Pullman Trailblazers. They don't blow leads, and I think that they have a huge opportunity to to win a title for Gonzaga to be the first team from. I think they're going to be the first team from Washington to win a national title. I don't think there's, I mean, maybe Seattle University with Elgin Baylor. That might be the last team. I'd have to, you know, double check on that. But I think that they have an opportunity to be a, a, a killer program this year and and to prove and to continue to prove why they're dominant. And 
it's not like Gonzaga is going to go from being dominant and then lose other guys to being not dominant. What players get when they go to Gonzaga, they get a great education. Now Gonzaga is at a point where it is a straight shot to the to to the to the pros. Jay, you know, Jalen Jalen Suggs, Rui Hachimura, you know, even guys like Brandon Clark who was drafted low, you know, Corey Kispert who was drafted out of the lottery. It's a straight shot to the pros at this point. So it is the Kentucky of of uh, mid majors. And I think, you know, I think Gonzaga could compete in the Pac-12, but I think it would be foolish for them to leave the Pac to go leave the WCC because they're guaranteed if they can run the table and they can schedule outside conferences, they're guaranteed always to be in the tournament because I don't think there's a team there that can consistently beat them. Maybe St. Mary's will beat them once, you know, in the regular season and BYU will beat them, you know, once in the regular season, maybe, you know, but ultimately I think that Gonzaga tournament wise will always dominate because they're not going to play because you'll get teams like Pepperdine or teams like San Diego that will upset St. Mary's and BYU and BYU is leaving to the big 12 anyways. So it just leaves St. Mary's. And right now I think, uh, the next best team is, um, San Francisco and you know, those teams can't be Gonzaga. They can't compete. You know, they may have one, four star or, or whatnot, but Gonzaga has got five stars and you know, they're an absolutely scary team. I think that they're, I think that they have a chance to be very dominant this year. And I think it's going to be uh, a great thing to see. Um, them produce and to see them continue to win um, this game against UCLA is the number two team in the nation right this is a team that you know number two in the nation they if you know the fact that they're dominating this team kind of goes to show that either UCLA is a fluke or Gonzaga is the real deal Baylor lost a lot of players this year Davian Mitchell um, they lost a lot of players Davian Mitchell to note and so they're not going to be competing like they were last year and I think that Purdue might be the only team that could beat them maybe Villanova but again, you know, those are schools who, you know, don't have a seven foot one guard. Nevertheless, I am a biased Gonzaga fan, as most people will say, and I don't know what I'm talking about because, you know, oh, they're always going to choke. But I'd, I'd place money on it. I'd place, you know, $1,000 on Gonzaga this year that they're going to win, just, you know, regardless of the fact they're a favorite. I think that they very well could win. I think that they could end up being the team that surprises everybody and finally wins a national title and they're not just the one seed that dominates in the regular season and they can't win in the in the postseason so so now that we're done talking about college basketball uh, let's actually talk about the big thing that everybody's talking about right now and the college football playoff so today sorry guys i just changed so today the college football playoff named uh uga Georgia, still number one. Ohio State, after their dominant showing against Michigan State, jumped Alabama to number two. Bama comes in at three. And the moment we've all been waiting for, drumroll please, Cincinnati Bearcats come in at number four, becoming the first non-Power 5 to uh, crack the top four of the college football playoffs since it was um, inaugurated. I think Cincinnati should have been there to begin with. Now, hear me out when I say this, right? If you are going to only have four teams in the college football playoff, you cannot go based off of just power five. Now, you have to consider, right? The American, you have to consider this, okay? Cincinnati is awesome this year. Yes, they have played games that they, sh that they shouldn't have been losing to, but they should have won. But... 
But Oregon lost to three and five Stanford. Ohio State lost to Oregon, who lost to three and five Stanford. Michigan lost to Michigan State. Uh, or was it Michigan beating Michigan State? One of those two. Um, Alabama lost. The only team that does that that is one hundred percent, I think, unbeatable right now is Georgia. But every every team, Notre Dame lost. Saying Cincinnati doesn't deserve it is foolish. They've been great this year. They've been really good this year. To be only number four is asinine. Are they better than Ohio State? I don't know. I think given the fact that, you know, I think right now number four is the best they're going to get, which is fine with me. But still, to have them had been out for so long because they're not a Power 5 conference, it's obvious it's it, it's bias. And what it is is the college football playoff committee is literally just the BCS, but to please people. They want to sell tickets. Is Cincinnati going to sell tickets? Yeah, from Cincinnati fans. But nobody really wants to watch Cincinnati get pounded by Georgia. The thing is, is that Alabama and, and Georgia will meet in the SEC championship game because I'm pretty sure that's what will happen. They'll meet in the SEC championship game. Georgia will pounce Alabama because Alabama's defense is horrible this year. Georgia will win that game. No way in hell is the committee going to put a two-loss team, even if they're SEC, in the college football playoff okay they're not going to put a two loss team in the college football playoff which means cincinnati will jump up to number three i think cincinnati jumps up to number three and notre dame will get in right because ohio state's uh because michigan's the next one behind ohio state's going to beat michigan right they're going to beat michigan so notre dame it's going to be georgia versus notre dame at number four one and four ohio state versus cincinnati i think cincinnati can beat ohio state ohio state got shown up you know athletic quarterbacks you know, C.J. Stroud is having a, an outstanding year, but that Ohio State defense has a tough time against athletic quarterbacks. Desmond Ritter is an athletic quarterback. Desmond Ritter could be considered a top 10 pick. I don't think he is necessarily, but it's a very weak quarterback draft this class this year. Howell has looked like garbage. Um, I think Carson, Carson Strong from Nevada is the best guy, I personally think, from what I've seen, but I digress. The big thing is, is that Cincinnati, I think that they will take down Ohio State if they play them because of Desmond Ritter's athletic ability. He is scary athletic. He reminds me a lot of Cam Newton, but a better passer, which is the telltale sign. If Ohio State plays Cincinnati, Ohio State will lose Cincinnati because of Desmond Ritter. Will it be close? Yes, 100% it will be close. And Notre Dame will lose to Georgia. Georgia's definitely is the favorite, and I think that they are so damn good this year that it will be difficult for them to lose, and it will be um, crazy if they do lose. I think what could happen, hypothetically, is... You know, Cincinnati doesn't have to play for... I don't think, I don't think the American plays for conference championship. So Cincinnati plays next week and that's it and then they're done and then they're done so Cincinnati plays next week and then they're done they win the American um they're done for two weeks to get a break which is going to be the big factor they get a break for two weeks Ohio State has to play Michigan next week and they have to play a conference championship right so that is going to be the big factor why I think Cincinnati beat they're going to have two weeks to prepare they're going to have two weeks, two extra weeks, to an extra week longer to prepare over Ohio State. 
Can Ohio State win? Of course. It's Ohio State. Do I think that they're a fluke this year? I think that they are the fluke this year. That that humiliation by Oregon, a team that just got beat by Utah, dominated by Utah, and I watched Oregon play UW, and UW has been garbage this year. As a Husky fan, they've been horrible. UW, their quarter, Anthony Brown is uh, ungodly bad. He's extremely athletic, but he's quite literally the running back playing quarterback. Ohio State lost to that. Just just, just think about what uh, Luke Fickle, who is the head coach. Who, Luke Fickle was the offensive coordinator for, defense coordinator, excuse me, for Ohio State when Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator. When Ryan Day was the offensive coordinator, Luke Fickle was the DC. He knows Ohio State. It's the perfect matchup for Luke Fickle. Desmond Ritter is much more athletic than Anthony Brown was when Oregon beat them, and he's a much better quarterback. I mean, he's a top, he's expected to be a top 10 pick, given there's a lot of teams that need a quarterback this year in the NFL. We'll get to that in a little bit. But I think Cincinnati gets the national championship this year. I think they are going to prove everybody wrong. I think that they are going to get matched up because SEC, Georgia's going to beat Alabama in the SEC championship. The committee is not going to, you know, not going to screw themselves over by giving a two-loss team a spot in the committee, a spot in the championship over a one-loss team. And given that Notre Dame plays ACC schools all year, they're, you know, even though they won't play for the ACC championship, they're the best team in the ACC given. So Notre Dame will get in. So it'll be one Alabama, four Notre Dame, two Ohio State, three Cincinnati. If Ohio State loses to Michigan, Michigan gets in. So that's a telltale sign. If Michigan continues to win, if Ohio State loses to Michigan, Michigan gets in, right? Um, because Michigan will be playing in the conference championship. Um, but ultimately, I, I personally think that that uh, Cincinnati is going to get in and they're going to finish it out. I don't think that they should have been waiting this long, but I think it's good that they did because it puts a lot of teams on their back. It puts a lot of people in their on their side. I think the only team that they can beat, though, is Ohio State. And that's just showing from what happened at Oregon. What happened with Oregon, you know, how the athleticism killed them. Because if they play Alabama, Alabama's going to beat them. Even though Alabama's defense is bad, their offense and Bryce Young is outstanding. And Cincinnati does not have a SEC, an SEC defense. Um, and same thing with Georgia. Georgia's too damn good. That defense of Georgia, Desmond Ritter will be running for his life. So ultimately, if Ohio State, Ohio State is the marquee matchup, and you never think you'd say that. You know, Ohio State is a team that you want to play against. But it's the reality of it. It's the only team that I think Cincinnati has a chance with. It's awesome if they stay stay in the college football playoff and can get in. It's a huge sign for, for Power 5 schools or for group of 5 schools. But it also, if they get dominated, it's going to show why group of 5 shouldn't be in there. We're going to end that part right there. And we're going to talk about the college football playoffs should move to 8 teams. Eight teams, ultimately. Because what you do, well, maybe six. Let's do it this way. So, even that's hard. You know, if they do the top, you know, if they move to six, if they move to eight, right, you get all Power 5 schools. Which some would say, oh, that, the thing is, is if you want to talk, if you want to keep Power 5 schools in it, you know, even though Pac-12 is the bottom Power 5 school, the bottom Power 5, you know, um, I mean, the Big 12 might be the bottom. So, Pac-12 is down. The Big 12 and Pac-12. Which do you take all top, all Power 5 schools. Boom. They're in there, right? With the first, I think it would be the first two teams, right? The first two teams get a bye. 
So right now, Georgia and Ohio State get a bye. Then you have three, four, five, six, seven, eight, right? With eight playing four, um, with eight playing, f with eight, eight playing four. I think that's how it would work. Or it'd be with eight playing three, right? With eight playing three, four playing seven, and five playing six. I think that's. Would that work that way? Yeah, we'll do it that way. But let's just say that's what that way. Those three and those three uh, don't have to be group of five. They can be at larges, which would still give the opportunity for group of five teams. That would make it so much easier and make people shut the hell up about about it. Because in reality, college football playoff they want to sell tickets. The BCS was a great way for them to sell tickets because they were always going to pit the two, you know, most powerful schools against each other. And then everybody complained about the BCS for years, and BCS said, okay, well, let's find another way to make tickets. The Cultural Bowl Playoff, and we'll make a committee from the BCS people. I don't think anybody knew that. The same people that did the BCS are the Cultural Bowl Playoff Committee. Now, with that, right, you you, you you take the Power 5 schools, okay? Number one, number two, get a bye week, right? They're already in the quarter, the semifinals. Semifinals? Quarterfinals. They're already in the quarterfinals, Okay. Then the teams play each other because I think the, I think the difference from eight to three is not very far, not as far as people think. So if, if we go in and we look, let's go, let's actually go take a look and I could tell you, you know, and, and it'll vary from year to year, right? Not every year is number eight going to be as good as number three. It could very well be bad. So if we look at number three this year, it's Alabama at 10 and one, four Cincinnati, five Michigan, Notre Dame, Oklahoma State, Baylor. Only one of those schools has more than one loss, and that's Baylor with two. And they've lost to Oklahoma State and let's see, who did they lose to? Baylor lost to Oklahoma State. And TCU. While they got upset by TCU, there's not a big discrepancy in the difference in those top eight. Those top eight, only one of them is a... And this is the thing. Only one of them is a group of five. And that's Cincinnati. That and, and Notre Dame, technically. But the fact that Notre Dame plays against ACC schools, I consider them in the ACC. I mean, they're independent, but they're not a group of five. They're not. They're, they're, they're like Gonzaga. They're not a group of five. They play in... They play ACC schools every year, at least five of them, and they're, therefore they're not they're not a group of five. So you have one group of five school in Cincinnati. In, and then you have one, two, two Big Tens, one, two, two Big Twelves, and two SECs. If you did a twelve-team format. You would still have no group of five. Everybody's talking about the group of five team. Everybody's talking about group of five teams. Like, they can't be in it. The thing is, there's not very many group of five teams. UTSA. Houston. Cincinnati. BYU. That's it. UTSA. Houston. Cincinnati. BYU. Those are the only group of five schools ranked right now. And that's the college football play. That means 
no group of five schools are going to ruin it. That means there's not a lot of good group of five schools. So if they're still going to sell tickets regardless, but what eight, having eight schools in the college football playoff means it's a much harder option. The, the FCS does this. They do a championship. But that's why, you know, that is why the FBS doesn't want... We just go back to Division 1A and Division 2A. The FCS does a championship. And they do very well with it. They do very well with it. I mean, we've seen, you know, while North Dakota State won four straight, it still sells tickets. All I'm saying is the college football playoff should be at least six teams. At least six. That way you can have your two SEC schools in there. That way you can have your two SEC. Because you're not, and everybody talks about, oh, the four SEC, there won't be four SEC schools. Because, you know, there's going to be this year two SEC schools, you know, the there, there's no way that there's going to be two undefeated SEC schools. It's highly unlikely that there'll be two one-loss SEC schools. Because those one-loss SEC schools will most likely play each other in the conference championship, given another loss. So there's this whole ideology is insane. So what I'm saying is expand it to six, all right? Get six schools in there. That way you can have your two SEC schools that are going to sell you tickets. And then you can add in your Ohio State that's going to sell you tickets. Then you leave three spots for schools like Cincinnati, schools like Oregon, you know, schools like uh, other teams. I mean, Washington, UW was made the inaugural they made the inaugural college football playoffs, the four seed. They played Alabama, and Alabama, who was scoring 48 points that year, got held to 24. And UW scored seven, right? Because their offense was garbage. But their defense was great. So there's not a big di difference. What all I'm saying is that they expand to six. You go to six, you give an opportunity for other schools to get in. And it's not, it's, it's rare that it'll be Power 5. Cincinnati had a great out-of-conference schedule, and we're beating top teams. And a lot of teams in the American were at... There were a few teams in the American ranked this year to start that had a big play on it. You know? So, oh, they only have this ranked win. They only have that ranked win. That's a bunch of malarkey, dude. That's a bunch of crap. Who cares? Look at Cincinnati plays. Look at... Uh, Ohio State lost to Oregon at home. With a quarterback who's a running back. Anthony Brown's not a quarterback. He's a running back. Dude's a running back. He He's literally what Lamar, what people think Lamar Jackson is. He is that. He's a running back. He's an athlete who can throw the ball somewhat, but they run with him. And he torched Ohio State. Desmond Ritter is going to torch Ohio State if the Ohio State plays Cincinnati. It's a given. He's going to torch them. Expand the college football playoff. Six teams. You get your two SEC schools. Whatever. You can have your Ohio State. You can have your Notre Dame. You know, when you flip-flop them every year, you can have those schools. You leave three schools. And I'm not saying automatically give it to them, but what I'm saying, that's what happens. But then you have three schools that can get in. No Big 12. You know, while the Big 12, Oklahoma has, if Oklahoma wasn't a fraud this year, like they have been, they very well should have been in, but kept getting snubbed. And the committee did a good job not putting them in because they're a fraud. They were horrible this year. Spencer Rattler is garbage. Dude's a terrible quarterback. And he's just hype. He's like Sam Howell. He's just like Sam Howell. They're both hype. They're not good quarterbacks. Sam Howell is an awesome athlete. North Carolina. And I think I 
and I wouldn't say Sam Howell's a bad quarterback, but he is an athlete. He's all of UNC's offense, and that's the problem. He's literally their entire offense. I think I think I've seen three games where he had a 200 yards passing and 110 yards rushing. He's literally their offense. So I wouldn't say he's a bad quarterback. I just don't think that he's a top, uh, you know, second round pick. Like like he reminds me a lot of Colin Kaepernick. Second round pick. Got a cannon of an arm, a super athletic, but doesn't you know isn't NFL ready. The the thing is is that. The, the Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray's, you know, the Lamar Jacksons, they have now made these super uber-athletic quarterbacks become eye candy for these teams, and they draft them, and then they're just garbage. They're just terrible. And then it's a waste of a first-round pick. You know, Zach Wilson. I mean, he doesn't have any weapons, so we won't even talk about him. But, you know, you're going to... uber it, Let's not make it like the, the, the 20... 13, 2011 draft class. The draft class with Christian Ponder. That was a terrible draft class. Draft class with EJ Manuel. Terrible draft class. I don't think this quarterback class is strong at all. I think it's a very weak one. I think compared to the last few draft classes of quarterbacks, there's not a quarterback in this class that I think is a surefire first-round pick. Desmond Ritter's awesome, and he reminds me a lot of Cam Newton. But Cincinnati, not good enough. He is not, and and maybe and maybe he'll prove me wrong. He reminds me a lot of Cam Newton. I think he's the only one that could go in the first round, and I wouldn't be upset about it. Do I think he's a top ten pick? Hell no, hell no. While he's a while he is, you know, accurate, and while he is a, a, an uber athlete, competition matters. And if he plays well in the college football playoff, I'll change my mind. And I know I was just talking about, oh, Cincinnati should be in competition. But still, Cincinnati's undefeated. They're winning games. You know, they beat a few ranked teams, but competition matters as well. To a point, you know, throughout the course of his career. Um, Sam Howell is a second-round pick. Athletic, definitely. Can he throw the ball? Yeah. But I don't think I've seen enough of Sam Howell making NFL reads to and and making decisions that you know don't make me shake my head while he is the only offense in you at North Carolina you still have to find a way to win and and you know find a way to compete and you know I think he could go for and I'm saying late I'm saying you know late first early second I don't think any quarterbacks worth a top 10 pick this year I think it'd be foolish for teams to waste a pick on it and if teams draft them because they're worried about the teams behind them getting them, I understand that's what happens. They're forced into that. But still, it's a situation of, you know, I don't think any quarterback this year should be taken in the in the, in the early first round. Late first round, you know, Sam Howell and Desmond Ritter could easily be late first round, early second round picks. Like the Andy Dalton, Colin Kaepernick year. Those two were, you know, solid. Andy Dalton was... You know, he was a solid, solid quarterback for Cincinnati, and he just sucked. He had a very short prime. Colin Kaepernick wasn't that great. Colin Kaepernick, you know what? He was a, a great athlete. He was a horrible quarterback, and nobody realized that. He, you know, he he played a season. He came in for Alex Smith halfway through the season. Nobody had film on him except for his college days, and that's not going to, you know, a telltale sign of what he did. So that's why he dominated, but the second year as a Seahawks fan, I watched him. He was terrible. Couldn't make a pat, couldn't throw the ball, you know. 
it just threw it, played too much like a baseball player. Um, you know, that's what I think of Desmond Ritter and and uh, Sam Howell. And I think, that, I think that both of them have an opportunity to be good quarterbacks. But I think after what we're seeing this year with this year's draft class of quarterbacks with Zach Wilson, who emerged to become this stud, and Trevor Lawrence, who was supposed to be a generational talent, playing like absolute garbage... You have to be, if, if I'm a team looking for a quarterback, Houston, if I'm Houston, if I am um, New York, if they decide to move on, don't waste your time on a first round pick on a quarterback, at least an early one, because otherwise you're going to, they're going to have bust written all over them. Carson Strong out of Nevada. I think he's the only one who's making NFL type throws, but he plays in the MWC and he plays for a... Nevada squad being the fact that he it's a lot like how Sam Howell being the only offense Desmond Ritter being the number one guy on Cincinnati I think he's the only guy I ever hear about is why those two why those three could be top 10 picks is because they're the it's like it's like Zach Wilson he's the only guy on Clemson or on uh, BYU that anybody talked about you know so that's what everybody knew I mean (laughs) it's one of those things um I think that NFL teams would be foolish to take a quarterback in the first round this year. Unless, God forbid, you desperately need them. Unless, God forbid, you know, I mean, if I'm Houston, who I think is the number one team that people need a quarterback, and Detroit, don't waste your pick. Don't waste your pick. By God, don't waste your pick. You're paying Detroit, right? You're paying Jared Goff, what, $60 million? Well, he's atrocious, and he should have never been a number one overall pick. Don't make the same fucking mistake that L.A. made. Thankfully, Sean McVay is a mastermind and was able to scheme around Jared Goff. If I'm Detroit, I don't think Dan Campbell has the same ability. I think that it would be insane if they took a quarterback in the first round. I think that they would waste a lot of time and a lot of money on that. Many people are expecting them to take a quarterback, but I think that Jordan Davis goes number one. You know who the last defensive tackle who was picked in the top five was by Detroit? Ndamukong Sue. And Ndamukong Sue never lived up to being the Hall of Fame type player, but he was always solid. He was just a hothead. Jordan Davis could be a much better Ndamukong Sue. He could very well be an Aaron Donald. While he's, I mean, but given he's like 6'7 and 350, 375, there's a lot of you know, question there with with today's NFL being much faster. But we've seen this film. He very well could compete. He's playing in the SEC. If I'm Detroit, if I'm Houston, um, even Miami, if I'm Miami, um, Cleveland, I'm not taking the quarterback in the first round. I'm going to wait. Second round, go for it. Third round, yeah. I'm going to wait past the first round because there's no quarterback that deserves it. There's no quarterback who has shown, yes, that's a first-round pick. They have first-round talent. All of them have shown that they can play, and they definitely have NFL abilities. They don't have first-round abilities. You have to remember, the first round, right, the 256, I think it's 256, 256 players get picked every year in the NFL. 256. When you pick a quarterback in the first round, you are saying, out of 256, when you're taking someone in the first round, you are saying, these 32 players are better than the last 230, 234, 200, 224 players in the NFL. You're saying that these 200, these 32 are better. 
And while you always have busts in a draft, no NFL, no first round's perfect, you always have late round steals. Quarterbacks, though, easiest way to waste a pick. It's a lot like, you know, and, and, and earlier in my life, um, I've always stood by never waste money on a running back in the first round, unless they're like Derrick Henry or Adrian Peterson. Generational. Generational talent for quarterbacks. I think good coaching and drive can create a quarterback to be good. Tether Henneke, for example, while he's not Ryan Fitzpatrick, while they're not superstars, they're game managers, and I think game managers are more valuable than people think. Matt Hasselbeck was a value. Anyways, running backs in the first round, unless they are Adrian Peterson or Derrick Henry, they or Christian McCaffrey, and and now in today's era, Christian McCaffrey or Alvin Kamara, they are not worth first round money. Why? If you were drafting a running back that, you know, AP was not an amazing receiver earlier in his career. The NFL didn't need it. It was more of a run league. Derrick Henry, I don't think he was a very good receiver in the first part of his career. He's got great hands now, but he wasn't very a great receiver. You know, Nahi Harris. Nahi Harris, you know, he was a late round, late round pick. Reminds me a little bit of Alvin Kamara. Much better, much stronger runner, but reminds me a lot of Alvin Kamara. I was okay with it. And it was the biggest need for the Steelers. I think, ultimately, you can't go wrong with that. Um, guys like Le'Veon Bell, you know, guys that, guys that can catch the ball. You have to be able to do both. And consistently, you know, Travis Etienne, is, he's a wide receiver. Shouldn't have been a first-round pick. That was an Urban Meyer blunder, you know. Shouldn't have been a first-round pick by any means. But I don't, I don't believe in taking running backs in the first round. I think that their shelf life is so short. Once a running back hits over the age of 30, their shelf life depletes and their usage goes down. Especially bruisers. Because... Big. These are the best players in the world. Big, strong, fast, tough guys to defeat. The issue with taking a running back in the first round is you get them. Let's say you get them after f- five years in college, right? Redshirt, freshman, um, redshirt, freshman, sophomore, junior, senior. They're 23 now, 22, 23. You get that running back for max seven years max seven years that means you have his four-year rookie contract he's 27 you sign him to a he plays well you sign him to another six-year deal he's now locked in for till he's 33 you now are paying him big money till he's 33 and as soon as he hits that 30 year old mark he's going to start falling off especially and especially if he's getting a bunch of carries a game guys like you know guys like uh David Montgomery and Zach Moss, those guys who are mainly receivers are going to last longer in the NFL because they're not getting 30 carries a game. Christian McCaffrey, I'm sorry, I love CMC, but the dude's made of glass. He's not going to last past 28. He will be out of the league by the time he's 28. He's just too injury prone. Alvin Kamara, Kamara's another guy that I think won't last past 30. I think 31, too many injuries. Derrick Henry... If he's got the LeBron James type, you know, workout routine and he takes care of his body, very well could last past 30. Will his value be as high? No, he's a bruiser. Won't be as high. Teams are more likely to move on from... And I mean, I I guess you could say that for... I think quarterbacks are the only people and kickers (laughs) are the only players that last 
into their 30s. But ultimately, I think running running backs have, I think, the shortest shelf life of any any player in the NFL. Because, you know, we've seen 36-year-old corners. We've seen 30-year-old, I mean, 35, you know, 38-year-old linebacker. London Fletcher, I think it was 37 when he retired. You know, Albert Hainsworth was 38 when he retired. So we see a lot of, you know, the running backs have a short shelf life. I think, you know, while that most NFL players last three and a half years, running backs, I think, are, you know, the reason for that. Guys like, you know, receivers like, receiving running backs like Zach Moss and, uh, and you know, Devin Singletary, you know, Miles Sanders, those guys who aren't getting 20, 25, you know, uh, carries a game will last much longer in the NFL, you know, even though they're tiny, much longer and will play longer because they'll be more of a use than guys like, Al- the guys like, you know, um, Alvin Kamara, where unfortunately the drawback for Alvin and CMC is, while they're great receivers, they're powerful runners, which means I need to give this guy 30 carries a game. It's the same reason why I think Ezekiel Elliott has fallen off. Problem is, Zeke can't catch the ball. He's got butterfingers. He's a bruising running back, and because that Dallas Cowboys offensive line is no longer, you know, pro bowl and all pro, he's fallen off. We'll get to that in a little bit, but Nevertheless, no quarterback of this draft class should be taken in the first round, at least in the top 25 teams. Or top 20. Let's just 19. Let's just say that. Out of the teams that aren't on the playoffs, no team should take a quarterback in the first round. If you've got two picks, whatever, you could go 50 for 50. But don't be like the Raiders. They lost both their first round picks. No quarterbacks were taken in the first round this year. Don't take a running back in the first round either. I don't think there's any running back in the in, in college football right now that's even worth a first round pick either. But um, still, don't waste money on it. Don't waste time. Don't take a quarterback. I think there's there's so many more players that could be taken in the first round. I know it's going to be a stronger draft class, so just bear with me. And understand what I'm saying when I say that no quarterback this year deserves a first-round pick. Because now you're going to have high expectations. Don't be like the Packers and draft some kid out of a group of five school and hope to God that he played. I didn't even watch Jordan Love in college, and I can already tell that he was not great. Play- he looked horrible in the one start he had. Horrible. Don't do that. Don't waste. Do not do that with Carson Strong. Don't do that with Desmond Ritter. Don't do that with Sam Howell. While those guys are uber athletes, they're not worth first round picks. Just because Lamar Jackson, even Lamar Jackson, who was a super athlete and an MVP now, he was taken 32nd overall because nobody believed, you know, and, and that's what teams will, you know, go off of. Oh, nobody believed in him because all he did in college was run read option. Lamar Jackson made a huge jump in the NFL. I didn't think he'd be a first-round pick. I didn't think he was even anywhere near a first-round pick in in college. You know, Louisville ran a spread option, and he had like 1,500 yards. Well, he you know he didn't make bad throws, but I didn't think he would be. And then he had his MVP season, and I ate my words. But don't be that team that wants to say, "Oh God, you know, he's the next Lamar Jackson." Well, he did it. Yeah. And the Ravens benefited from not taking him 
higher than 32. They benefited from it. They, you know, smaller rookie contract, um, less expectations. While first-round picks have high expectations, it's really, realistically, the top 15 players in the NFL, top 15 players in the first round are the ones that people expect because that's that's the that's half the NFL that's bad, right? Because you can say about the last four teams, those last four teams were playoff, were, were vying for a playoff spot and just became unlucky. Those top fifteen is where you find where team you know where teams really need need players. If you want to take a quarterback number twenty two overall, fine. You know who else was 22 overall? Brandon Whedon. You want Johnny Menzel. Sorry, Browns fans. Brady, uh, you want, I think Brady Quinn. Brady Quinn. Sorry, Browns fans. You guys have had a lot of busts. Um, you want to know who was taken sixth overall that shouldn't have been? Mark Sanchez. And, I mean, Sanchez was a, I guess a different story. Dude led them to two AFC championships, but that was a, you know, crazy defense in New York with Rex Ryan. Mark Sanchez was just absolute, was a game manager. He's a Hasselbeck. But I digress. This year's NFL draft can either be one of the best or one of the worst. And it's all going to depend on those quarterback needy teams and whether they're willing to wait or whether they want to get one now. Russell Wilson will most likely be up for a trade at the end of the season. And I can already say if the season's gone, Russell Wilson's gone too, and so is Pete Carroll. I think that the whole the whole front office of Seattle will decide to move on because I think Pete will retire and we will see, because he's not going to rebuild. He's not, no 70-year-old coach who just signed a five-year deal is going to want to, re, is going to want to rebuild. Russell's gone at the end of this year, right? Which means Seattle's going to be looking for a quarterback themselves. They don't have a first-round pick, so hypothetically, if those teams wait right They're, they have a second round pick so they have a high second round pick but they don't have a first so if those teams decide we don't want quarterbacks well that leaves a quarterback for seattle but again um if i am these nfl teams you know free agency these quarterback needed teams russell wilson will probably be traded you're gonna have to give up first round picks for it definitely you might even have to sell the farm russ is having a very bad year but I think every quarterback will have one at some time in their career. You know, whether it's an injury loss season or a, a play loss season. Patrick Mahomes, you know, while everybody's like, oh, this is a bad year. No, it's not. There's going to be a year that the Chiefs go 6-10 and 10 and Patrick Mahomes throws 20 interceptions. I can already see it. Even, you know, the greatest quarterbacks. Uh, Tom Brady. Yeah, get off my shit, Maverick. Damn it, I have to edit that out. Um... What was I talking? Oh, Tom Brady. He, you know, he never missed. The, I don't think he ever missed the playoffs when he was a quarterback in New England. But he had a lost season. Every there are quarterbacks who have lost seasons, and every quarterback has one because they start that, that value starts to drop. And it's a lot of the time it's because of how much is being paid to that quarterback. And you know, you can make that excuse, but look at the teams that don't pay their quarterbacks and how well they are, how well they're playing, and. You can only play that well for so long. You can only do that for so long. If Taylor Henneke leads Washington to a Super Bowl, like if he led them to the Super Bowl, 
to a Super Bowl, he would have to get paid big. And that's just how it goes. Because he's the quarterback that led them. That's It's quarterback's league now. Given that, Russell Wilson, no... Russell Wilson will be up for trade at the end of this season. He's going to... He... Stop. Um... Russell will be traded at the end of this year. Where? I don't know. It's a question of who's going to who's gonna give up the most. Because Seattle's not going to give him up for anything less than two firsts or a first and a second. A first round pick will be involved because, you know, while, oh, he hasn't won an MVP, he's also led, you know, he helped lead Seattle to, you know, two seasons where, three seasons where they've had historically horrible defenses. He's helped lead them to the playoffs. So, while one bad year... You know, won't be the telltale sign, and I don't think teams he'll lose value as most people are saying. But Russell will be gone at the end of this year. I can guarantee it. It's already going to be that way, and I think the team is preparing for it. I think Pete's gone too. Regardless of whether Russell's gone or not, Pete's gone. I think that he retires. I think that you know, the it's it's time for a new era. You know, nobody can do what New England did. And this is what sucks about being a Seattle Seahawks fan. No one can do what New England did. That's the expectation, right? Problem is, is that, you know, that's so hard to do. And it's almost unheard of. I mean, you had the Cowboys, you had the 49ers, you had the Pittsburgh Steelers. They all did stuff like that. They all did stuff like that, right. But it was never six championships within... Because the Patriots have only been good since the 2000s. The Cowboys won three, I think, in or two in the 90s. Um, 49ers won three in the 90s, right? And then, I think, three in the 80s. And the Steelers won in the 70s or whatnot. Um, no team has ever done what the Patriots have done. You know, they've always been 20 straight years of winning their division. That doesn't ever happen. And that's what people expect. And that's why it's so hard. You know, Seattle had... One of the most dominant, I mean, they were considered, I think they were much better than the 85 Bears. And I'm probably saying that because I'm a Gen Zer. But ultimately, they were better defenses than the 85 Bears. They were so dominant. Peyton Manning had led the top offense in, right? And everybody was picking the Broncos. Because, you know, Seattle's offense was abysmal with Daryl Bevel. And we scored 43 points against them, held them to 8. We, helped, we almost shut them out in the Super Bowl. We had the second highest scoring Super Bowl in NFL history. The second highest deficit, I should say. They had, su- they had such an insane defense that, you know, it was such a great era. But every era has to come to an end. Nobody can be New England. Nobody can do what New England did. I don't think anybody ever will. So it's a lot of trying to rebuild. And as a Seahawks fan, we've been so good for so long. And, you know, it's been nine years now. You know, it's hard. You know, when it's been almost a decade of consistent winning, at least, it's hard to see your team fall and to see them get back sent back down. It's really difficult because we never actually had a rebuild. We had a small rebuild. The year we went 9-7 missed the playoffs. We were 9-7. We won nine games. We just barely missed. We had a small rebuild, but now it's coming to the time where, okay, it's time to rebuild, and it may be time to move on from your quarterback. If I'm Russ, I'm going through that rebuild with Seattle. 
the problem with Russ is, right, and I love Russell Wilson. He's the greatest quarterback to ever come through Seattle and the greatest Seahawk ever. Better than Steve Largent, better than anybody. Greatest Seahawk ever, right? Russ wants to win too much. Now, it's going to be controversial, right? He wants to win too much. The problem with that is not only does he want to win, he doesn't want to help Seattle get better. And I don't mean to be critical of Russell Wilson because I love Russ. Again, greatest quarterback ever to play in Seattle. Hall of Famer. You know, everything. Maybe he does want to help. Maybe I'm just wrong. But Russ wants to win too much. And I guess that's, you know, you'd say, oh, well, why is that a bad thing? Because it creates a mindset. It's It's good to want to win, but you need to come to reality that, you know, okay, do I want to be with Seattle or do I want to win six Super Bowls? And while that's everybody's goal is to do what Tom Brady did, you got to be with your team. You know, if you are really loyal, be with your team even if they're bad. Appreciate that team. Because Russ is only, I think, I think if Russ leaves and doesn't play well in another city, in another state, he, ne- he it, it could taint, it could taint his career. If he plays terrible in another city, he's not going to have the same excuses that Seattle fans will have for him. It will be, okay, Russell Wilson really was a fluke. And I don't think that he is. I think that he could play well anywhere else. But what I'm saying is Russ has to rem- Russ needs to you know, think about it before he decides to demand a trade. If he does not play well in another city... His career will be tainted. And people will say Russell Wilson was never that good. Because that's what fans do. Thankfully in Seattle, Seattle fans will defend, and as a Seattle fan, we'll defend him until until we die. I mean, I'll, def- I'll defend Russ all day. But I also know when not to defend Russell Wilson. And I think that if I am him, I'm staying in Seattle regardless. I'm going to stay in the place that everybody loves you. Everybody wants you to be here. If you if he if Russell Wilson stayed through a rebuild, that would be insane. But ultimately, if he wants to win, he wants to win. He wants to go somewhere else. Then that's fine too. It's his it's his life. People are blaming Ciara, but I think that's foolish. I think that's dumb. New York wasn't even one of the places he wanted to go to. It was Chicago, Dallas, and New Orleans. So, I mean. <laughs> She's from New York. He didn't even want to go to New York. That's the thing. So, if Russ leaves at the end of this year, if he's traded, because he has to be, if he's traded, you know, I think that it'll put a bad, you know, I think as a Seattle fan, I will be grateful for Russell Wilson and what he's done in in Seattle and helping us secure a Super Bowl and helping us, you know, become a, a great team. But if he doesn't succeed in that team, with that team, I think his career will be tainted. I think his legacy will be slightly tainted because it'll... You know, oh, people will question, well, was Seattle really that bad? Yes, they were. But people will question it. People that weren't watching Seattle, because people that don't watch Seattle religiously like we do, um, if he doesn't succeed in another city, they are going to question, was Russell Wilson ever actually good? Or was he actually carried by that defense? Or was he, you know, any... The thing is, is that, like, you know, let's say, well, was Russell actually, you know, if he was... Sorry, I'm getting my tongue twisted. If he if he doesn't succeed in 
that next city. People will question whether that will be given that idea that that defense did carry him. And it'll actually come, it might just prove it. And I'm saying that because Seattle fans defend Russ all the time. That he, you know, he was a game manager. He didn't throw for 30 to passing touchdowns until that defense was done. And then he threw for 40 one year. And, but that's what happens when you're the only offense. But Seattle fans will defend him, as we do, as you should. Nevertheless, if Russ can't succeed in another city, he won't get that same treatment. People will say, it's, there we go. He, he got carried by that defense. He was never actually good. And Seattle fans will agree with it because that's what we, because that's, well, not what I do, but that's what some Seattle fans do. They will agree with it. So Russ has to make a decision at the end of this year. Okay, if I leave Seattle, I need to win and I need to go to a city and do a team. So Dallas is off, off the page. Dallas is off the record or not off the record, but off the, the meal plan, I should say, because of Dak. He's not going, he's not going there. And New Orleans, maybe, but they just give Taysom Hill a massive contract, so New Orleans is off the table. That leaves Chicago and the Giants. The Giants, maybe, you know, they move Daniel Jones for Russell Wilson in a first-round pick, maybe. I, but I don't think Dal. I don't think New York is ready to move on from Daniel Jones just yet. I don't think a. I don't think and New York is not any better than Seattle offensively. There's even worse weapons. Kenny Galladay is a pile of garbage, and Kadarius Tony is a five foot nine wide receiver. Russ does not have very many options. He go to, could go to Chicago, and if Matt Nagy isn't fired, he's going to have a Daryl Bevel as his head coach. Essentially, Russ, the thing is, is that Russ's best place is to stay in Seattle. Because it's the place that he's going to have a starting quarterback job always. It's a place he's going to have money always. He's going to have a fan base that loves him. There, I don't think there's an ideal spot. I think Dallas was the ideal spot with the weapons in Dallas. But Dak's big contract, Dallas isn't moving on from him. No way in hell are they going to trade their, what, 26-year-old quarterback for a 31-year-old quarterback. New Orleans very well could be the place. But I don't think that that front office, after giving Taysom Hill a big contract is going to take on Russ's contract as well and Seattle's not going to tr- take Taysom Hill because he's a he's a he's a gadget player they're not going to take his contract and I don't think so and Chicago I mean realistically what does Chicago have to give it there's not a lot out of the prime destinations that Russ would want to go those teams don't have a lot to return and while this year Russ isn't a top five quarterback he's still a top 10 quarterback always so there's not a lot of teams that have a lot to get. Raiders, the Las Vegas, maybe Derek Carr could be if they if 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 anywhere Las Vegas if that worked, Derek Carr is a solid quarterback. I would take him definitely. But I don't think Las Vegas does that because that's not what, that's not what the Raiders do. And Seattle will never trade him to San Francisco, especially not with Trey Lance being there. Um, Detroit, they don't have anything to give for the no. The only way he goes to Detroit, and I don't think Russ would want to do that. So, out of those teams that he chose, New Orleans, Dallas, Chicago, the only one that that I think is even possible is Chicago. And Chicago would have to sell the farm. They'd have to give up a lot. They'd have to probably give up Khalil Mack, to be honest. 
but 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 Chicago also just drafted Justin Fields. So I think I think that people, you know, I think that Russ's likelihood of leaving is much smaller than people think, given all the places he's wanted to go to already have quarterbacks or have signed quarterbacks to big deals. New York, the Giants will not move on from Daniel Jones this early. He's two years in. They're probably going to wait until his final year of his rookie deal and ship him out if they do move on from him. By that time, Russell will be 33, 34, 33, which depletes his value already because he's a, he's a mobile quarterback. So it depletes his value already at that point. So out of all the places he's wanted to go to, none of them have room for him. So where the hell would Russell Wilson go besides Seattle? Nowhere's going to take his con. Nowhere's going to take his contract, especially after a bad play this year. It's going to lose value, which means he won't get traded. But he's still going to play football. He's not. And Russ isn't going to do a Deshaun Watson. That's what it, you know. If that's what everybody's worried about, Russ won't do a Deshaun Watson. He doesn't want out of Seattle that bad. Obviously, he just wants things to change. I think. I think the Seattle. I think Seattle's front office moves on from Pete Carroll before they move on from Russ. You can justify firing your seventy-year-old coach or choosing to walk away from your seventy-year-old coach because Pete Carroll's not going anywhere else. He's just signed a five-year. He's not going to coach anywhere unless it's a local high school team. So you move on from Pete, right? You move on from Pete. You get a new head coach. Maybe things work out better. What I'm scared about is the moving on from John Schneider. Now, let's talk about that. Schneider, I think that they need to. Now, hear me out. Schneider and Pete Carroll had one of the best draft cla- one of the best drafting eras in history. But they're also John Schneider is one of the worst free agent GMs in the world. And he makes crazy trades, and I think that the trade for Jamal Adams at the time was a solid trade at the value it was it was a good trade why because Jamal Adams was an all-pro safety for the Jets he was playing great the problem is is he came to Seattle got a big deal and has just shit the bed that's not John Snyder's fault he paid big money for a 24 year old all-pro that's what any safety would be 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 asked for so that's not his fault, but he's a whore. He's a horrend. Besides the Cliff Averill, Michael Bennett signings, John Schneider is a horrible free agent GM. Seattle doesn't make moves in free agency, and they sign bad players. Kerry Hyder, he was a stud in place of Nick Bosa, and he's garbage this year. Terrible. And they've drafted decently, but Elgie Collier, Rashad Penny, ugh. Why would you take a MWC running back who was a kick returner, number 28, who I didn't even think was going to be taken until the sixth round? The last, they thought he was going to be the next Marshall Falk. Donald Pumphrey is the all-time leading rusher in NCAA history, and he was taken in the fourth round. What makes you think Rashad Penny's better than him? You know, while Rashad has had spurts, he's made of glass is the problem. LJ Collier. I don't even I didn't even know who the hell that was when they drafted him. 
And I was very surprised they took him number 25. You know who else was taking number 25 was one of Seattle's horrible picks? James Carpenter. Good Lord. They've had horrible drafts, but they've also had solid drafts. I think it's time to move on from John Schneider and Pete Carroll. Get somebody else in there. Find somebody else. Let John Schneider go back to Green Bay. I, that's what I think. Anyways. Oh, I moved my mic. That's all we'll talk about the Seattle Seahawks for now until next time. Because every time I talk about the Seahawks, it stresses me out. Alright, we'll talk about them again um, next Sunday. Let's go and catch up with NCAA basketball. Oh, so Gonzaga just beat the number two team in the nation. 83-63. Andrew Nembard, the guard out of uh, Aurora, Ontario. So he actually transferred. Where did he transfer from? Oh, was he actually... Let's see. So the guard from Florida who play, played last year. Um, yeah, he had a outstanding game. He scored 24 points for Gonzaga. Drew Timmy dropped 18 points, 8 rebounds on 6-12 shooting. Chet Holmgren, 6 rebounds and uh, 6 re Sorry, 15 points, 6 rebounds, 6 of 8 shooting, 2, from, two, two of 4 from 3. Julian Salder out of Las Vegas, Nevada. Who has been a who, who? A lot of people have talked about. He three for nine, twelve points, three for nine, nine rebounds for him. So a lot of rebounds. Thirty-eight rebounds today for GU compared to thirty-two for UCLA. So not a big discrepancy there. Um, let's look at all the stats here. UCLA had seventeen personal fouls. GU had nineteen. GU even had thirteen turnovers. UCLA had not eight turnovers. Where the big mark was GU, 9 for 23 from 3. UCLA went shot 34% from the field, 16% from 3, and 72% from the line. GU, 56% from the field. I mean, that's that's showing why. UCLA had a horrible shooting night. Um, I mean, oh, God. Jamie Jaquez Jr., 7 for 22. Uh, Johnny Jazang, who's expected to be a top pick this year, 5 for 11. Oh, God. Jules Bernard, senior out of Los Angeles. They're big, too. Six, seven guys. Three for 11. So UCLA had a horrible shooting night and got exposed. Gonzaga just dominated. Um, You know, I think, obviously, if they had a better shooting night, the game would have been closer. But, you know, oh, your game would have been... Eh. UCLA had 14 offensive rebounds. That just shows that UCLA is just terrible. If you have 14 offensive rebounds, right? And and they they had if if you have 14 offensive rebounds and you still shoot 34%, I mean that could have been 28 points right there. Putbacks. That means GU's interior defense is outstanding. 14 I mean while well, 14 out that either means you I didn't watch the game and I'll have to watch it next time. UCLA 14 offensive rebounds. That's 28 points right there. That wins you the game. That means either kickouts, you know, and give or take, you miss two or three. I mean, that still ties the game if you put those back. GU had six offensive rebounds. And 13 turnovers for GU. I mean, 
it's, you know, I don't know what this is going to say. I don't know what people are going to say about Gonzaga now. You know, 20 point route over UCLA. This is a team that was, you know, it's, and it's pretty, I'm pretty sure it's the same team from last year. Six, seven long guards and GU got longer this year. That's the difference from last year. They got longer. They have a, you know, seven foot guard underneath with Drew Timmy as well, who's a outstanding four. So we'll see. But thanks guys for tuning in. Um, we'll get back at this again later and, uh, yeah, thanks for joining and we'll see you guys soon.